This is Strange Assembly, episode 212, Bonsai. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your Legend of the Five Rings and tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can download the podcast there or on iTunes or in the Google play music store we are here today to talk about the most recent fantasy flight article about the legend of the five rings lcg this article is an example of a conflict it is between a dragon player and a phoenix player so it is absolutely perfect that i am here today to talk about it with with my my longtime good friend jay earl the phoenix player you there jay Jay, is anybody there? Uh, I am. Okay. Do you play Phoenix? I do. You will work then. Okay. <laughs> All Phoenix players are the same, right? Right? No? Is that not how it works? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so you're not Jay. Who 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 are you? <laughs> My name is April Vincenti. But Phoenix player. That's the important thing. Yes. Okay. So what did you think about our, our Phoenix versus Dragon battle in the Bonsai article? I thought it was an interesting read. The only thing that I, I, I do want to harp on something just to start, and it, it's something that I've actually started seeing in everything. I think a lot of the naming conventions is pretty cool. You know, Tagashi Initiate, Bushi Berserker. But when you get into stuff like Seeker of Enlightenment... That, to me, seems like a title instead of a, a naming convention. Just a little nitpick from me, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they just thought, like, well, we, there's <laughs> only so many Agasha this or Sheba that's we can do, so if we can do more <laughs> generic things, I hadn't uh, given a lot of concern to that. I'm, I just noticed that while I was away today, <laughs> one of my children took a Sharpie to my desk. Mm-hmm. Or to the the keyboard tray on my desk. That's not really what Sharpies are for, guys. <laughs> Anyhow, I I perhaps we will go have a political conflict um in the Stevenson family home after I'm done recording this episode. <laughs> I, I, do. I I do like this. It gives us an example of stuff, and it actually answers a lot of questions that we that at least I had after the last one, and that's that was the whole thing with. The one Phoenix card that was uh, pacifism, because it says it cannot be used during conflict. Now we understand where we can actually play that card in relation to the conflict. Yeah, I think this article had a lot of confirmation of how one would have thought, well, this must be how it works. Like, right, like Jay and I talked last episode, there must be action windows before and after conflicts, clearly. I. You know, or, right. or else things like pacifism make no sense. I did find it interesting that someone, I saw someone talking about, I read this article and now this feels much more like L5R when it, I, I just, to me, this doesn't feel, it's not like it feels not oh. like L5R, but <laughs> like going back and forth with actions, that's pretty much, that's L5R and pretty much every LCG, right? I mean, <laughs> yes. Maybe not Netrunner. Netrunner is very different. <laughs> I haven't played Netrunner, so I, I couldn't say it, but 
I played other CCGs, and I obviously played the the um, the card game, Alphavar. But I don't know how I feel about this whole setup. A lot of it is taking a lot of the stuff, and we haven't seen a lot of things like you know what happens to like honor decks or dishonor decks because they have to exist. I don't know if it's just the it's just the fighting aspect of it I don't like or what so we have not seen much so far that deals with honor loss or honor gain beyond the the bidding mechanic and that i think is a very significant thing i mean i my guess is that by the time we are done and they've they've sort of previewed all this right where they're starting off with the central let's ha- let's have mm-hmm. a fight mechanic and then they'll talk about other scenarios as the their rollout goes on I, I think that by the time they are done honor will be significantly more central to the l5r lcg than it ever was to the ccg mm-hmm. because there will never be a game where you can just ignore honor right but of course you know that may or may not end up happening i remember that i noticed maybe there was something else but the one new mechanical thing I noticed that Jay and I had gotten wrong in our speculation was that if you play a character out of your conflict deck, you do have the option to throw more fate on them to keep them around. Jay and I had been thinking that, oh, well, conflict deck characters will probably just be one-shots that fade away at the end of the turn. And we were mistaken. I was thinking the same thing. Because I was going to say, there's no way that there should be that kind of a surprise and then all of a sudden they did it in the thing, and I'm like, what? No. You should not be able to put feet on that character. Yeah, it's one of the weird things that, that comes out of this is you don't... So we've seen a couple of conflict characters now, and it went, leads one to believe that, okay, probably every clan has at least one, which makes sense. Or if there's one clan that doesn't, it's a sort of deliberate weakness of that clan that... When you're playing against this clan, you don't have to worry about them springing a character on you from out of nowhere. I'm not sure who that would be. The other thing that I noticed here, too, is you can actually have a battle that's for two rings. Is that, yeah, what the Seeker of Knowledge? Yeah, I'm just going to call it a Gosha Kodo from now on because that's exactly what that artwork's from. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys got two Agashas spoiled in this article yeah her her flavor text or not her flavor text but her game text says things i don't know how significant they are in the long run but the way that it's phrased says something about how the mechanics work because she doesn't make it a second separate ring but you take the existing ring that you have and you give it the air element and then you get to choose which of its ring effects to resolve, which means that mechanically, anytime you throw the air trait on a ring, it automatically mm-hmm. gains that text without, I mean, presumably, my guess is that so they don't have to repeat that, like, or, or try to worry about swapping rings around, or, but yeah, you, mm-hmm. could, you could potentially be in a battle that it's, it's the ring of Earth, but, you know, your Phoenix deck has made it also a fire and air and water battle. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the other thing I found fascinating is we finally got our first like four combat valued person 
but that person cannot attack. Yeah, that's probably a good trait to have on a one cost for combat value person. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it is, but I just find it fascinating that that's the first time we've seen a, you know, somebody passed a two so far being previewed and it's you know, on just on defense. What? No, no, we've seen several. Oh. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we have never seen anything as high as a four before. It's also odd because this this Shiba guy does not really look like her. <laughs> <laughs> no, he I mean, does not. My, it's just, I believe that one is new art, though. It looks like new art. It hasn't. It doesn't look like it's something from another set or anything. But I just find it interesting that some of these people that they're coming out with just like, wait, hey, wait a minute, I know that person. I guess it's weird because it's something they're inheriting from another company, but Fantasy Flight does that all the time. And I think understandably, right, whenever the Legend of the Five Rings mm-hmm. role-playing game comes out with Fantasy Flight, just like we did with with AEG, we will see that the art in the role-playing game is largely the same as the art in the card game, which right. makes sense. There's really no good reason for them to pay for brand new art every single time they want to show a picture of a of this dragon monk or or something. Well, especially for I mean for something like this or Star Wars, if it's a specific character, you know, you can mm-hmm. you can just use the same picture of them. I'm and so it's to me it's entirely understandable. They've got lots of digital art assets from AEG and if they like the art and it fits with something they're doing with the card I, if I was running that business, I wouldn't be like, you know what? Let's go pay somebody else to make another piece of art and take this art that we already paid EEG for and just throw it in the bin. No, I wonder, like, some of these cards I know came from, you know, outside artists and everything. Like, you know, there's there's cards that, you know, Drew Baker did and stuff like that. Are, is FFG going to, like, contact these people and be like, hey, we're reusing your art. Can we do that? Or can they do that? Or do they have to pay the person? Or I doubt they have to pay them again i mean aeg usually the contracts for these things it's just an unlimited right to use the art if you're if you're somebody like magic you pay for an exclusive use of the art mm-hmm. and so the artist can't do anything with it i remember that i think steve argyle at some point went to uh make like a magic playmat and they were like no <laughs> you can't you can't sell playmats with magic art on them we sell playmats with magic art on them for the AEG stuff, the artist had, as far as I know, at least for the the modern stuff, had full rights to do essentially whatever they wanted with the art. I know some of, I think it was Argyles, but maybe I'm misrecalling. I think some of that, some L5R art ended up on the cover of Ikusa, the latest iteration of what was first Shogun and then Samurai, Samurai Swords and now Ikusa, the, a board game, which is is feudal Japanese theme, but has nothing whatsoever to do with L5R or AEG. <laughs> because one of the the large pictures on the cover is Shishiro Jimin. <laughs> it's got the green emerald mempo that he wore, and and it's the exact same thing. So it's possible that they contact them, like as a sort of courtesy contact. But they, I I, I would be shocked if they have to get permission or okay or anything like that. Yeah, because that was. But one of the reasons, if you go back to old, old magic, the mm-hmm. the reason why you will, you, 
other than extremely limited things like judges promos, you never see old magic art. And the reason why they phased mm-hmm. it out to begin with is that those very early magic artist contracts, they had to pay the artist based on the number of cards that were printed. Ouch. And then like when they started printing these massive it, print runs, it started to get a little overly expensive. Like, you know what? Let's we, we can have new art for Birds of Paradise. It's okay. This Yanawar elf, I don't know what the heck's going on with his head regardless. Let's try again. <laughs> <laughs> but we did, uh, we got to see our first spell. It looks like spell is basically a keyword, yes. or sorry, a trait. I'm guessing they'll all say you cannot play this unless you have a Shugenja, but uh, since that's what makes them a spell. I kind of like that, to tell you the truth. I don't know, I kind of didn't like the fact that it was like almost an attachment in the old in the old game because to me spells you know i'm kind of old school and D D, you know spells one time use you have to rest for eight hours before you can use it again oh that's right because this this one was an attachment but it's entirely possible that a spell could be an event and it just has the spell keyword and it just you know it's boost your guy's mm-hmm. strength and then it's done it represents them casting the spell once. This one just happens to be an attachment because it's putting a long-term right. effect on the other character. Hmm. That seemed like a solid spell. Was it? At least it costs something. So there's that. Yes. I mean, because some of these unique characters, right? You you bring out some unique character. You're you're effectively paying a lot for their fancy <laughs> ability, and then you put three extra fate on them, and then your opponent's like, eh. You, you didn't need that kill ability anyway. Why don't you take that away? I actually like the fact that, you know, there's stuff here that, you know, will blank, you know, text that will prevent people from attacking or defending. I'm just an old school control player, so I like to see that kind of stuff. I think that you are in the right clan if you like control. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it seemed like the... The crane we're gonna have to you know show up at show up to battle more and and push people away and then it, yeah, maybe do more attacking. The phoenix seemed super defensively oriented. Yes, they do, and that's one thing I like. Yes, we will defend, and then if you attack us, we will crush you. Well, I mean that just goes back to the CCG for me because that's how I used to play. I took off a little bit in ivory, but when I was playing an emperor, my deck was a, was um, a dishonor deck out of Temple of Purity. So I was used to doing those control tricks. Um, I, I wonder how much they'll do a do a pure control because that's I mean right pure some kinds of pure control just piss off some players. From what I've seen so far, it looks like they're almost like an aggro control type of deck, where it's almost like a switch, where you could do some crazy stuff and then control some of the stuff, and then you can go on the attack because. From what I see, the other for the military thing to actually kick in, you have to break people's providences, and I've yet to see anything that gains you honor or makes your opponent lose dishonor in the Phoenix so far. Yeah, I still have to think that there's more of that. I mean, there's going to be honor and dishonor decks, right? There gotta be. Right, we've seen a little bit with that with the crane, although the crane seemed to be about like honoring their own guys and then having them die. Or fade, or whatever they do. We've seen dishonor for the scorpion. Yes, yeah, dishonor your guys, and then when they fade away, you lose lose the one. At least it's only one. Yay! 
the other thing this it does too is what happens with the attack providence because I don't think it went over that in the last thing about how you have to reveal the the bottom you know the bottom card. Yeah, they did mention that you had the option of right when you broke the province, you had the option of discarding the card out of it. Yes. Uh, so, and that makes sense. I mean, that I'm I'm trying to remember back to last week. I know Jay and I were saying something about that, like oh, this will be like old L5R, where if you break the province, they can't just hold something there. But that was more about at the end of the. Oh, that's right. It's. Oh, that is kind of weird. Yeah, because what. What they had previously said was that during the refresh or reprieve phase, whatever it is at the end of the turn, when mm-hmm. if the province is broken, they have to discard the card out of it anyway. So that's that's kind of weird. According to this, you can discard the card right then, but it's going to get right. discarded at the end of the turn anyway. I guess that could prevent shenanigans if they have like conflict cards that let you buy guys out of the dynasty. Mm-hmm. But... What did you think about the attachments? One of the perpetual concerns with anything like this where you have attachments is, you know, how are they costed? How do you make up for the possible card disadvantage? And we saw two what seemed like more normal attachments here. The just generic sword, which was free and provided a plus two military bump. And then the dragon-specific ancestral daisho, which is Rising Sunblade, I believe. The art for that. But that is also plus two fours. It costs one fate, but it comes back to your hand every time it gets popped. I think that's like the free one. I I understand, you know, okay. Once the character fades, it gets discarded. That that's fine with incensural Daisho. It makes lore sense about having it come back to your hand because swords get, at least, you know, in the old samurai way of life in Japan, swords get passed down usually in the family. Yeah, when I think even in Rokugan, if you defeat someone and, like, take their sword or break their sword or something like that, that would be horribly dishonorable cause for vengeance. You defeat someone and you take their swords and you, like, deliver them to their child. I, I did like to see free... On attachments, it's just I've got apparently got some self interest since my my dragon are apparently supposed to be all <laughs> all big on attachments. But come on, you're monks. You should be hitting people with your fists, not with. Well, you know, <laughs> I think attachments are going to be fairly broad conceptually. I mean, not that they think that. I mean, they, they Robert, like the way of the dragon was an attachment card. So right. <laughs> you can have philosophy attachments. You can, have, I mean, you could have anything as an attachment. Really, you could have you know, a state of mind or an injury or. I just want to see armors, armors in this game so far, because I want to see how they do armor in this, in this game. I mean, I love the fact that the weapons so far seem to be restricted. No more than two restricted attachments per character. And I love the, the reminder text there, but you know, I like the fact that it's restricted. Oh, you can have two weapons. Yes, that's how it normally works. I'm glad that to see it spelled out like that. But I want to see if there's like a limit one por- one armor per person or. Well, they used to do that without right, right? You just got one weapon, one armor, and you've already potentially got. So I- I'm not saying that they have to strictly follow the mechanics of it, but right, an ancestral dice show, a dragon clan samurai is actually going to be using an ancestral dice show in two hands because that's the katana and the wakazashi. 
but in game that doesn't stop him from using mm-hmm. using a second weapon. So you've got restricted, which mostly seems to be weapons. Maybe it'll be anything that takes up a hand. I don't think we've seen it on anything but weapons. And then you also had limited, which is the mm-hmm. you can only play one of these a turn, which was kind of weird for me at least to see it on a personality because I'm used to that trait from the Star Wars LCG where it goes mm-hmm. on resource generation cards so you can't you don't have the possibility of have your opening hand having three extra resource permanent resource generations that are free and just dropping them all at once and crushing your opponent for the rest of the game it was mm-hmm. strange to see it on a random personality maybe they just decided it would be too good if you flipped up three uh doomed Shugenja at once and went like well it's only gonna last <laughs> one turn but it's gonna be a good turn so what do you think about the the agasha swordsmith i really like card draw so i really like that card i suspect that <laughs> one two for a personality who costs two fate is not going to be uh impressive numbers but that is something like action draw a card Yes, it is. So, I <laughs> I cannot argue with that. Action draw a card. Done. I mean, obviously, you want lots of card draw anyway, but one of mm-hmm. the, the flow of the game questions that's still out there is, how many conflicts are there really a turn? And how many of them are really this contested? Because there were, there were a lot of resources spent in this sort of conflict. You can't possibly have this sort of conflict four times a turn. I don't think you're really going to have four conflicts. I think you have the potential for four. But I think most turns you're going to see maybe one, maybe two conflicts. I would think a lot of the time the, the second player has an easier time of it. You know, like, well, this is my second conflict. You can't care, declare a conflict back on me. So I actually have the ability to just go all in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to make that decision in L5R, but it was just a unitary thing. I get my one attack, and then I have to decide if I want to leave guys back. And that's not necessarily a hard decision because I get to buy more personalities after I've done my attack. Unless you were playing Unicorn and then you had to be like, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead and have that one province. Well, even AEG had gotten rid of that by the by the end. I mean, that was really never a good gameplay mechanic. The whole like, ah, let's just completely circumvent the entire battle mechanic of this. And I do think we'll see more repeated interesting (laughs) battles in this Mm -hmm. than we did in the LCG. L5R had gotten better about this near the end, but right there was a significant stretch of L5R where battles were about either like, like if it was a military deck versus a defensive deck or, you know, you'd send out one personality to just try to like attrit them a little bit, (laughs) knowing that your personality was going to die, but you didn't really care. Or if you had two military decks, there was a lot of just moving past each other, trading provinces, and then one big fight, and then the battles, and then the game's over because one side's army just got wiped out. It wasn't that way at the end, but the fact that you've just replaced the destroy the loser with bowing, I think, is in and of itself a very positive gameplay change. It is. I, I do like the fact that conflicts can happen almost as you know quickly as turn one, actually, which. I'm not going to like, but, you know. (laughs) You're closer to losing if your province gets broken on turn one, but your resource production hasn't gone down, which is a big deal. 
Yeah, it is a very big deal because that's the one thing I used to hate in the the CCGs. Once you that first Providence got broken, you're like, oh, okay. Now I just hope I can get production and people. If you played Honor all the time, right? You were probably always going, okay, okay, okay. I've got two provinces left. Don't both be holdings. Don't both be holdings. Don't both be holdings. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. that'd be the game sometimes, right? If you if you were playing a, a strong Honor deck against a strong you know, military deck, and you had your two province turn, and you did not get any personalities, and you just had to buy two holdings instead of gaining four honor for buying a personality, that could cost you an entire turn, and costing you an entire turn is usually the game. Or you're like, you're just hoping because you know, like, you're like doing the math, and you're like, okay, if he attacks both providence, he can take both of them. So please give me a, a personality, and you flip the two holdings. You're like, oh no, no defense, no uh. defense. Uh. And I like the the fact that the we actually got to see one of the Providence cards in Elemental Fury. Yes, and we got a precise statement about i guess their timing like that usually their actions and then you just take them as actions during the conflict but that some of them are reactions and, and i guess we know we know precisely that they flip up before any like, like that's the first thing mm-hmm. you attack and then you flip it up poof yes which i mean makes sense i don't know when else it would happen but so i all all i can hope is that this conflict is emblematic of many conflicts to come with the victorious <laughs> dragon player Wait, they were victorious? I didn't think they were victorious. Yeah, because a bonsai played on the Agasha Swordsmith gives Jenny the edge with enough total military oh, yeah. skill to break Elemental Fury. So, yeah, they uh, Elemental Fury had a, <laughs> a four. Jenny, I don't know, Jenny and Alex are playing. Alex is the <laughs> Phoenix player. Jenny wins by four, and that's enough to break the province, and Alex would just have to swear vengeance. <laughs> So, I mean, that's all positive. I guess I did have one negative thing, and I, I think for the first time I did not like art on a card. And I did not like the art on Bonsai. That looks familiar, though. Well, be that as it may. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like a solid card. Plus plus four punch out of one free... I mean, I say free, it, it, you have to lose an honor, but... right. And that's what that's what confused me before because I was reading it. I'm like, wait a minute, how is she using it twice? And I read the card. I'm like, oh, okay, that's why. Yeah, it was just I looked at the art for Bonsai, and I had to be like, what? Where? Where are that person's arms and legs? I don't understand. <laughs> and then I finally found like, oh, he or she is like twisting, and their arms are their legs are kind of tucked up, and their arms are kind of twisted behind, but. I don't know if I have to like sort of peer at the card to figure out what the heck is going on. I'm negative in my book because the art's been the art's been pretty fantastic for this. They get to take the best AEG stuff, commission good new stuff, and like I said, that that card that card art looks familiar. I don't remember what card it was on that, at the moment, but I know that was on a card. Uh, I'll probably find it sometime, and I'll be like, eh, "It's this card." Yeah, I mean, the fastest way the fastest way would probably for me to like if I would be to pull out binders and stuff, but I'm moving in a couple of weeks. So all my, well, the, I mean, it's a lot easier to look through binders than to look through the, the Oracle of the Void, I think, but the, my binders are, are thoroughly boxed up. Okay. So 
April and I are going to have to admit defeat on that one, but I'm I'm sure that someone on the forums or Facebook or something will will come and tell us what card it is, if any, that that was a uh, <laughs> that is being reprinted on. I thought I knew it was an action card. That's the only thing I can remember. So, I think that's about all I had to cover on this one. This one was really a much narrower... It, it was. Um, the other thing that I, I got was the... I knew this was going to happen, but I got confirmation that, you know, if you dishonor an honored person, the only thing that happens is they lose the honored trait. That makes sense when you... I mean, because... I, I mean, I guess you could, what, have them be both honored and dishonored, and those just negate each other, and then if they die, you gain one and lose one. They have plus two and minus two, and... Right. It's a lot cleaner. I mean, that was kind of what L5R was, right? If you right. if you had a character who was honorable and they got dishonored, they just went from honorable to dishonorable. And then if they got honored again, they got re-honored, they went from dishonorable to honorable. And I still like the, the fact that traits actually matter a little bit, too. We've seen, you know, somebody has a participating courtier character for shame. Or the one for spells that says, you know, you have to have a Shigenja character. I do like that kind of flavor. They appear to have stripped the keywords down to functional things. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything that references, say, the monk or the tattooed keyword, but I bet we will. <laughs> At some point. I think we'll see it in the core set, but... And I really do think that they're actually on that Alfarvar Facebook page, because I was just complaining about the lack of respect for Sheba's, for the Sheba family, and all of a sudden, they put out this Shiba. I, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's a Shiba. Yeah, yeah. That I hate to break it to you, but the Shiba are kind of second fiddles. <laughs> I mean, you you are you are the only clan whose clan champion does not actually run the clan. <laughs> and actually, after Sukimi, that yes, they did, but that's neither here and there. I, I just like I just like the fact that and you know this is one of my complaints was you know every time I've heard descriptions of like the Phoenix Clan it's always yeah you guys got they they're the magic users of broken on I'm like but when I hear like you know Dragon or Crane everybody's go- going on about how they're the political and art center for the Crane and they have the second best duelists in the land and then for Dragon you know you got your your enlightened monks and then you got this best duelists in the land it's like women here phoenix are more than just magic users i do appreciate that you you correctly identified that the dragon were the best duelists in the land i i appreciate that <laughs> but i according to lore they're supposed to be the best we know shiba the shiba duelists are actually better well, well yes because like they've got the broken void technique right isn't that in <laughs> is that in fourth edition RPG right there? Far am I am I recalling that correctly? They're either the first or the second. I, I mean, uh, you know, because I'm a dragon partisan, that was one of the things I was always <laughs> grumpy about with fourth edition. Is that yeah, the the dragon not only get whooped in duels by the crane, but they get crushed <laughs> by the the Shiva. Uh, that that's the thing that like always made me like apprehensive because like even in like the CCG. You know, Sheba's always played like third, third or fourth fiddle to you know other duelists, and I'm thinking they're the best Yujimbos in the land. If you're a landowner, a daimyo, or a notable person, 
and you got a Shiba bodyguard, Yojimbo, that's supposed to be a, a signal of a status. But if your Shiba is like the fourth best duelist in the type duelist in the land, why would you want somebody like that? Wouldn't you want like the best? Well, I mean, I think as a practical matter, most Yojimbo are not doing dueling things all the time. It's also one of those things where if you break too far into the dueling thing, then things start to fall apart. For example, right, if you if you look at the, this conception of, like, the Crane are the best duelists, right, and the Crane are just better than everybody at duels, or, or you know, in, in, in general. I mean, that, if you actually live in a society where this one group is always better at this one conflict resolution method than you are, and they have the ability to always force any conflict into that conflict method, no one else would tolerate that. Realistically, that's when the, you know, somebody's just like, I don't care. I'm not going to Iajutsu duel you. I'm just going to march my army over and destroy you. And you can complain about it, but, like, I'm not just going to perpetually lose because you're, you know, you are always the best. And and so I, I think it's that sort of thing. If you take into the actual nitty gritty of the setting, the notion that, like, some of the clans are just always better or almost always better at like the singular mm-hmm. conflict resolution method it doesn't work so you just kind of have to hand wave it the other thing i want to say about this article and i, I know we just kind of off a topic there but that's that's fine is the fact that and this is the one thing i hated about the ccg is it looks like the phoenix got their courtiers back that they're actually going back into the courts a little bit as well I could be wrong, but... I suspect that we will see more courtiers generally. Most likely. I mean, obviously, non-courtiers can have political, but the way that they are splitting, you know, half of the half military conflicts and half political conflicts, you can't have half the clans that don't have courtiers. Mm-hmm. If you go through most of the game... Crab, except when they like to have a Yusuki deck, they just don't have courtiers for the most part. The lion, like it's again, unless you happen to have an Akoma theme, the lion aren't going to have courtiers. The dragon would only have courtiers if they had a Katsuki theme going on. I, <laughs> right, you got to have uh, some of that. I want to see a Katsuki. We haven't seen a Katsuki yet. I'll be sad. I know we haven't. We haven't seen a Soko yet either. So for the Phoenix, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, to the I magistrates would be surprised if there are families that aren't there uh i would be very sad if the katsuki were gone but i would not be surprised if they look at clans that have lots of families and they're like yeah we not really like the horiuchi for example totally not mm-hmm. in here um with that said what are you going to do cut out a clan's only shugenja family or only courtier family i don't know I know uh, AEG used to do that all the time. <laughs> I'm not thinking like just they don't show up, but not exist at all. That's true. You know, the the E-Day and the Uche, they always existed, even if they weren't printing them. You know, there wasn't a unicorn a courtier mm-hmm. theme that set or something. But there is the possibility that, that there will be things that we just never see here. So... I've been seeing a lot of people saying that, that they're glad to have the Agasha back in the dragon. How do you feel about having them back? I'm fine. I was never <laughs> one who really had a... I never really had a lot of heartburn about it. It 
made sense that there were consequences in the story for Hitomi kind of being a Looney Tunes Mm -hmm. for a bit there. In the long run, I think it made for bad story because you took a Shugenja family and you moved them to a clan that already had more Shugenja than it knew what to do with. <laughs> yes. Right? I mean, it's like, okay. <laughs> like, we're like we, now we've got them in the Phoenix. What do we do with them? We don't really know. This plan was not well thought out. <laughs> As a Phoenix person, I'm glad to see they're back with the dragon, especially after what AEG did with the Akasha, which was absolutely nothing yeah, like at some point they decided, oh, the Agasha invented multi-element spells <laughs> and then gave it to the Phoenix. <laughs> and then they just died out in the CCG because I don't think there was like, I think it was maybe one, maybe two a set at a lot of a point. It's just like, uh... There's just too much going on. And the, especially because the Asawa are already established as having mastery of all of the elements so it's not like they can be like oh well these are the when when a fire shugenja shows up it's an agasha <laughs> i am glad that they're just called agasha swordsmith now i think that that will help fo- <laughs> well I, I think that the generic names going back to what you you know the the what you raised at the beginning i think the generic mm-hmm. names will help focus the story on a smaller number of characters that actually matter especially since i, mm-hmm. I it'd be nice but i doubt we're going to get something like weekly fiction for this. Right. I mean, I think we'll get like story supplements in dynasty packs and I I desperately hope that we get some big gorgeous investigators of Arkham <laughs> Horror style thing for L5R. The only thing I'm sad about is that a lot of the big names that were out from this era it has not been like shown yet. Like, none of these people I, I, I know from, like, stories. Isura, Masahiro is, like, somebody new. It's like, um, couldn't you use an established character and put them in that role? We've only seen two unique cards so far. Masahiro and uh, there was a Scorpion one, a Yogo, I believe. Mm-hmm. They're definitely holding off on those, and I... I think there are going to be some big reveals. Some of these big names are going to get cards. I wonder if that's the personality cards that was leaked. Well, I, I mean, to clarify, because leak has kind of a word, right? These were, I mean, a distributor posted some information <laughs> yes, that's legit. That's well, well, there were only five of them. So I don't think oh. that those will be any kind of character cards. I know, uh, right, Jay said that there was speculation that they would be something for multiplayer like the uh like they have in a game of thrones second edition mm-hmm. and i thought about that later i'm like well if you had five that could be like like wins or something like that you could have like right hand left hand underhand voice shogun since i doubt that they're going to put something like black heart of the empire in the corset but the, these sort of imperial positions that get handed out i I could see that. I mean, I don't have any particular reason to think that's going to be that, but I guess, like, if I'm thinking of five things, I guess those are five mm-hmm. things. Uh, something that's sort of a set of five. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, well, that, I mean it's, it's kind of weird right. because really, originally it was a two, right hand and left hand. And then it was three because right. they had underhand. And then it was four because they needed to add the voice in. And then I'm just going to toss and show it in with that, you know? It's, uh, 
<laughs> like, uh, let's come up with things to do with Win with uh with these siblings after they don't become emperor. <laughs> I think the underhand was just created so the scorpion could have like a little title for themselves. It's like we're the underhand. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just glad that they didn't make uh, a title for everyone. You know, <laughs> I'm the left foot of the emperor. <laughs> I don't know. And I'll form the head. But I mean, I like some of the generic names. Don't get me wrong. A lot of these generic names that we've been saying, I like because, you know, they could, you know, if you have an a, a, like an initiate to a, a thing, you're not going to have that person named already. Or, you know, you have just a trainee, you know, a gotcha swordsmith. You're not going to have a, a name for that person. FFG wisely, I think, likes their <laughs> They're measured rollouts of stuff. And so right yes. now, they get people excited just by showing them gameplay basics. And as time goes on, they will drive people crazy when they do things like, and here's the Tagashi Yakuni card. Oh my god, it's the best thing ever! Ah! <laughs> yeah, oh, that's... You're right, AEG tried to please the vocal requests of players by pumping out a lot of information and by releasing tons of of card images at Mm -hmm. once and having everything and and i have long believed that this is one of those situations where like the customer is not always right and what the customer says that they want is not necessarily what they want but look at this on all the podcasts if you ask me right now chris would you like to see all of the l5r cards right now i would be of course, yes. But then what would they be getting me to do a weekly podcast about <laughs> Yeah, essentially promoting their product for free? <laughs> I, you know. Well, I mean, the other thing is I like this measured effect. I like the fact that, okay, every week we get some, some new rules thing in there. We get some kind of new card in there. I like that measured beat because every week you're, you're looking forward to something rolling out the cards like all at once you're like oh okay you get everything everybody's excited for like a week and then your game doesn't come out like in limited release for three months and in full release Mm -hmm. for five months and by the time it comes out everything is kind of ho-hum or people are like oh 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 now i want to see the previews for the next set although that will actually happen like this will release at August before before this hits full release. We will have seen the first cards for the first Dynasty pack because the first Dynasty pack will be hitting in like December or something. And so in September, or I don't know when they'll uh, they'll have done like their announcement of the first Dynasty pack. If it's anything like the uh, Arkham Horror card game, you're going to. Yeah, there'll be like two or three articles before the the pack actually hits and you're like oh okay well that could be interesting for l5r2 because they they talked about how deluxe sets and i think this would apply even more so to the core set because deluxe sets Mm -hmm. are supposed to be perpetually legal right that those would be more timeless generic sorts of stories whereas Mm -hmm. dynasty packs might be where we really see story stuff happen. I mean, and they they do that in the other LCGs, too. It's just, Mm -hmm. I just don't really care that much about what's happening on Mars in Netrunner or something. It's it's just not (laughs) the same. 
<laughs> I'm glad you're going for it, but it's not L5R. I mean, that's the one thing I'm probably going to miss is like all the the fact that you know we can shape the story, because like, the customers or the players could shape the story to an effect and everything. I think that's the one thing I'm going to miss because I FFG is not going to do that to the broad scope as AEG did. Yeah, well, AEG's implementation has AEG's implementation at the end was kind of weird. It was it was sort of like one of those things where like universally acknowledged that having fifty tournaments in three months that each have a story prize doesn't actually result in good story or much relevance for any one prize, and yet we continue to do it. That's the one thing that actually got me interested in this game. The first time I actually heard about this game, I was reading uh, an old magazine called Scry, and they were just going over the tur- you know tournament results and everything. And I just seen this little blurb about Legend of the Five Rings about how now that the winner, I forget what it was, I think it was like a goblin deck or something. Don't ask me. It was a long time ago. I, I could be making up the facts at the moment. And they were talking about how this person who won this big tournament can now set the um, next arc up to be something totally completely different than what was actually going on. I'm like, that actually sounds really awesome. The player interaction is a huge thing. I mean, I it despite the dissatisfaction with like some individual story things that they they did out of it like it was still a really huge satisfying deal to work for like a year and a half to get a dragon emperor you know get the dragon empress <laughs> right that that was a big deal but you know there's right afterwards you had the destroyer war you know how did you make how can you make that interesting and then you got the colonies it's like how can you make these interesting that the players cared about this stuff I think they could have easily made it interesting, but you actually, the need to constantly respond to tournament results disrupted their ability to really tell an ongoing story with interesting characters. Instead, they had to spend three months writing fictions about randomly chosen people killing each other. And if we were lucky, none of them were elephants. <laughs> that was the biggest, that, that was, that's the one thing I hated about the whole emperor colony thing. And then you had one one instance where I think it was a Phoenix player took on another Phoenix player, and that and then you had like two Phoenix people, the same person fighting each other in the fiction. It's like, what? The whole structure of that particular Cote season was a problem because it Phoenix and Mantis were like way too good, and the way that that played out because of how they did the math was that mm-hmm. lots of Phoenix and Mantis characters died or supposedly died or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you couldn't make the finals, you couldn't get killed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. So, I mean, I think we're, we're going to see story interaction. I don't think it's going to be the same. There's such a lead time on the development of these things that mm-hmm. I don't know how earth-shaking things are going to be... I mean, we got used to this with AEG anyway, right? You can't... if mm-hmm. You can't make cards about an event 
that come out like until a year after the event really so you'd have things where like right all these characters talking about oh we have a new emperor we can't say anything about who the emperor is because these cards were locked in nine months before we knew who that was <laughs> but <laughs> hey there's a new emperor being referenced on our cards <laughs> I do miss like the little blurbs on the underneath the bottom of the pictures and everything, but some of these are like amazing. Some of these like lore, little lore bits that we get underneath things, especially like Tagasha um, Initiative and Seeker of Enlightenment, which I haven't heard one podcast mention on how they flow into each other. What is wisdom? What is not wisdom? I'm sorry. I love that. I love that whole interplay there. It's like, wow. Well, I think they quoted that in the dragon description too. Then, yeah, actually, they're they're relatively light on the flavor text in these. You have a, a number of these cards that have kind of big, empty text boxes. Mm-hmm. I wish there was more flavor text, especially since, like, I I write, I want to know more about this Rokugan. I know all sorts of stuff about you know classic Rokugan. What's up uh-huh. with this Rokugan? Little things like the. Like on the Scorpion, the fact that it quoted Bayushi's lies instead of Tengen's lies. That's not really right. an important point, but it was of interest to me. Like, oh, there's a change. It was, and like I said, I mean, the whole thing with like the whole secret of, of Enlightenment and the Takashi Initiate interests me. It's like, okay, these people have a kind of a story because, you know, it, it seemed to me like one person was asking, okay, what is wisdom? And the secret of Enlightenment's like, what is not wisdom? That was interesting to me that, you know, these two people were probably talking to each other, even though the artwork doesn't look like they're anywhere near each other. And it just it, it, it's just fascinating with to me. Well, I think it's also pretty cool because those characters flow together mechanically as well, right? The the Tadashi yes. Initiate says, what is wisdom? And, and hands over his fate, which then powers up the Seeker of Enlightenment going, what is not wisdom? Aha, I get plus one, plus one now. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of these are just like really bad blurbs. Like, and that's one thing I do miss about AEG is they, the, the lore text at the bottom. You can they piece together a story. You go, okay, this is what's happening. Even without reading like the, the main stories that were coming out like every week, you can piece together what's com- going on. Here you're like, okay, what's what's the story? Who are these people? Why are they existing in this universe? I wish there was more. I don't think that they even if they had more, they probably wouldn't have too much what is the story in the core set because that's kind of supposed to be this timeless set piece. But still there's I wish there was more setting up of the setting in this. There's all that acreage down there on the bottom of those of most of those cards. Mmm, <laughs> italics. Like even the Asura with you know Masahiro, his little flavor text is the Kami are my allies. How can you hope to stand against me? And that's I'm like thinking that that's kind of cheesy. <laughs> it doesn't hardly set up anything. The only thing it sets up is okay. There's things that are called Kami's. What do they do in this in this thing? I mean, if I'm coming in. Not knowing anything about Rokugan, how can I find out more? And a lot of places, and that's the cards itself. But the only thing you're getting from that is, uh, okay, there's things called commies, they're this guy's allies. It has something to do with that fire, I bet. Right. 
I, I guess that they are laying something out there as far as a a foundational concept. Like if you don't get the camera, but it's also that it's a unique character. Like it's nothing. Yeah. It doesn't really tell you anything about who this unique character is in a in a setting where or. Or, I mean, it's not just unique, but, I mean, unique and named or synonymous, but, like, these are the people with names, right? This isn't like AEG L5R where everyone had a name and could have their own little story. Like, the o- mm-hmm. other people are generic. You could, you could take that flavor text and put it on any Shugenja almost. I mean, they have to right. be at least a little, like, uh, punchy. Cause, you know, that's, that's not really like a laid back sort of Shugenja statement, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one thing I, I, I'm i probably going to end up missing because, you know, that's how I fell in love with some some of my favorite characters is because, you know, the, the text on their cards was like awesome. It's like, oh, I like you now. So that we've been talking about the Bonsai article from uh, this Wednesday, May 10th on the Fantasy Flight Games website. So uh, thanks for coming on, revenge. April. We will get our revenge. We will get our revenge against the dragon. <laughs> we okay. may have lost this one, but we will get you back. Yes. We broke one province. Yes. That's the first <laughs> ever broken province. The first ever broken province in the L5R LCG right there. Go Jenny. Go Jenny. Go Jenny. And how to be I'm going to regret dragon. having done that little go Jenny thing right there. Well, you can always edit it out. Uh, I, I don't know. I uh, I'm, ne- I'm never quite certain how much the audience wants to listen to me like sounding kind of dumb sometimes. <laughs> I, I still like. I'm sure it sounded terrible, but I still fondly remember uh, singing Naga Babies after the credits for uh, for one of our episodes long, long ago. So I was listening to one of your old episodes, and you guys were discussing the merits about it being a CCG versus an LCG, and I just. Found it fascinating that years later <laughs> we're talking about the LCG. Yeah, well that that conversation of would this be better as an LCG that that was going on for years. I think it still remains what it is. Like if you if you think you can make it a CCG, you make it a CCG because a successful CCG make, can make a lot of money. Oh, it can, but I'm kind of glad it's an LCG because that way I don't have to yeah throw tons so of money at the game. My tipping point for I was like, yeah, I definitely want L5R to be an LCG was sometime when I, it was, it was cracking a booster box and being like, oh God, I have to sort all this now. <laughs> Never mind the, you know, the cost of it, everything. It's just the fact that I have to sort through like 25 copies of these comments to get, no, oh, I do not need that. No, no, Well, no. it's especially bad when you play, like, basically one faction and you're opening up pack after pack and you don't see anything from your faction. You're like... Oh, another crane, another scorpion, another unicorn. Oh, no phoenix, no phoenix. Well, I, no I mean, I collected, <laughs> I, I bindered, I, I collected sets of everything, like a, a Doomkopf regardless, so. <laughs> well, I'm still trying to get my collection of phoenix personalities complete, so. At some point after I move, I'll break out the things again and go back to getting my maybe trying to get my complete set but we'll we'll see there's there's been a lot of life going on since i started that quest so uh thanks for joining us april oh you're welcome okay you've been listening to strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com 
You can subscribe to the podcast there, either the full feed with all the episodes or just the L5R specific stuff or just the not L5R specific stuff. You can also subscribe to us on the on iTunes or at the Google Play Music Store. You can check us out at your usual social media websites, so feel free to follow us. We're at Strange Assembly on, on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. Uh, I always like to hear your feedback, so you can email me. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for April Vincenti, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>